And if you would, turn with me now to our sermon text, which comes once again today from the book of Jude. We will be looking this morning at Jude, verses 8 through 11. Jude, of course, is the next to last book of the Bible, so right before Revelation. If you can get to Revelation, back up just a little bit. Jude is a very short book right there. Um, So Jude, verses 8 to 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, or one of the archangels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. And Lord, we pray this morning as we look at these four verses in particular, that you would give us such eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand your word, that you would sow the truths that we see here deeply in our heart, truths that are so applicable for the world we live in today. And Lord, that you would, from the ministry of this word today, Lord, may you cause it to flourish today, this week, this month, and for the whole life of Village Presbyterian Church. We pray these verses, the fruit of them, to bear in the life of our church. We pray it in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we do come back this morning to our sermon series in the book of Jude, and we land in another passage that contains a myriad of illustrations and examples by Jude to make his overall point. And since it's been a few weeks since we were in Jude, I think it's good to be reminded of what is Jude's overall point. What is he doing in this letter? Douglas Moo says very succinctly, in verse 4, Jude tells us why he is writing. He is writing because false teachers have infiltrated the church and are putting the truth of Christ at risk. Then in verses 5 to 16, Jude elaborates on verse 4, describing and condemning the false teachers. And that's what we began to see in our sermon three weeks ago, our last sermon. We saw there Jude gave us three Old Testament examples to illustrate that overall point. And as we said in that sermon, we have to be careful with these examples. It can be easy to read these references and then go down a rabbit trail that doesn't actually serve us in understanding the point that Jude is making. Again, as I said last time, it's similar to a parent trying to use an example from life to help their child understand a bigger point, and yet the child fixates on that example in some way and misses the overall point. It would be like if I was going to try to teach my daughter, Mary Grace, about a willingness to consider another person as greater than herself, 
out of love. And I highlight the end of the movie Frozen to make that point. But if all Mary Grace takes away from my illustration is to begin singing songs from Frozen, then she has missed the main point of what I was trying to make. And the same thing is true here in verses 8 to 11, just as it was in verses 5 to 7. We have to be careful not to go down a whole rabbit trail of the point or of the illustration itself and miss the point that, is, that Jude is making. You see, what Jude is moving us into in our passage today is the fact that these dangerous and destructive false teachers who have weaseled their way into the church are crafty. What they teach and preach tickles the ears of humanity in our natural, sinful, fleshy impulses. And so they aim to present it in a way that seems religious and pious to give license for that. Yet, as we will see this morning, they are actually only bringing about their own destruction. And they are threatening to bring others down with them. And that is the urgency with which Jude writes, as he told us back in verse 3. So with that, we have two main points this morning that should guide us in our study of these verses today. Point number one, false teachers put themselves in the place of the Lord. False teachers put themselves in the place of the Lord. And then point number two, false teachers bring about their own destruction. False teachers bring about their own destruction. So point number one, false teachers put themselves in the place of the Lord. We see this in verses 8 and 9, but let's just start with verse 8. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. Okay, so here Jude is taking what he said in verses 5 to 7, and he begins to relate them to what is going on now. He takes the summation of all that we talked about in our last sermon, and he uses it to jump into this specific critique of the false teachers that we see today. And we see a very clear thing here. Jude starts by noting that the false teachers are resting their authority on something very dangerous. These false teachers are resting their authority on their own dreams, their own visions. They are, in some form or fashion, claiming to receive revelation that is more authoritative than what has already been laid down in the Old Testament by the apostles and even by Jesus himself. Douglas Moo says, apparently the false teachers base their immoral behavior on revelatory visions that they claimed to have received. So you all see the inherent danger here, right? These false teachers are teaching very immoral things, predominantly in the sexual realm, which go directly against the Scriptures. And when challenged on their beliefs, they claim their claim of authority does not rest on the Old Testament. It do, does not rest on the teachings of the apostles, which will become the New Testament, but rather... They are putting their claim on their own subjective visions and dreams. So what is it that these false teachers are doing? What is it that anyone does when they dismiss the Word of God and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures in favor of flaunting their own wisdom and their own dreams? They are, as Jude said in verse 4, denying our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So as such... 
they are putting themselves in the place of God. By the way, why is it that we must never accept someone's claim to have had a dream that reveals further authoritative and binding truth? Because of this right here. That person is claiming to put themselves in the place of God on the testimony of their own subjective visions and dreams instead of resting on the truth of God's Word perfectly revealed. Now, important here, don't hear me say that they don't actually have visions or dreams, okay? That can perhaps happen. I'm not saying these false teachers or others like them haven't had visions or dreams. If y'all want to study in that, go look at how the author of the Twilight series claims to have received her story, or how the creators of the Enneagram claim to have received the wisdom that their processes reveal. As an example, I recently heard of a church that had abandoned having their pastor preach sermons on Sunday morning in favor of having groups of believers sit around a table and wait for a certain word from the so-called spirit in order to give direction to that church body for the week. That is a wickedly dangerous thing to do because it is actually to put oneself in the place of Almighty God to give direction and binding instruction to the church at large. So what happens when false teachers begin to do this? Well, look at the next three descriptors. They live immoral lives, they defy authority, and they scoff at supernatural beings. First, they live immoral lives, and of course they do. When someone places themselves in the position of Almighty God, it gives license to the flesh to run rampant. And when that happens, immorality will flourish. And this particular type of immorality, as we have noted throughout this sermon series, is sexual immorality. The literal translation is to defile the flesh. And the connotation is to use one's body in immoral sexual ways that actually defile it and bring great pain and destruction upon it. Most in view here is certainly homosexuality in the literal translation here, but also forms of sexual immorality like fornication and adultery are also in play here too. Okay, second, they defy authority. And of course they do. If their dreams are the foundation and their visions are the basis of their authority in life and nothing matters more to them than their dreams and visions, then who else can speak into their life? Who else can speak into their experience? Not human leaders, not church leaders, not even God himself through the scriptures. And then third, they scoff at supernatural beings. And of course they do. The literal Greek translation here is that they scoff at glorious ones, which is certainly a way of describing the angels. And yet again, if they've placed themselves in the position of God, allowing immorality to run rampant, defying the authority of earthly leaders, church leaders, and even God himself, then the idea of angels as agents of light will mean nothing to them. Now, before we move on, I must add one thing here that's going to come back around in verse 10. We may not live in a world where lots of people around us are claiming to have dreams that serve as their authority in order to put themselves in the place of God. Now, I will say, I promise you that happens more than you may think it happens in our world. But 
fair enough, we don't see that quite as much as other generations did. But we do live in a culture that claims that our feelings and our desires should serve as our authority. And we are free to reject any form of authority that tries to push against our fleshly impulses. But then, what is running rampant in our culture? Sexual immorality, defying authority, and scoffing at supernatural beings. So we must be on guard every bit as much as the people in Jude's day. And with that in mind, we see the, this first illustration, and, and it's really immense importance to this overall point here in verse 9. So verse 9, But even Michael, one of the archangels, or one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Okay, so what is going on here? Well, we don't want to get lost on a rabbit trail this morning, but I do think we need to get our bearings to understand the point Jude is making. The story that Jude accounts for us here is of a dispute between Satan himself and Michael, one of the highest and most powerful archangels who was specially charged with the protection of Israel. Peter Davids says, Archangel indicates a chief angel, and thus is the equivalent of Daniel's chief prince. Thus, Michael is present as a figure known to Jude's readers, who is one of the chief angels of God. And Michael should be known to us as well, if we've read through the scriptures. Other than this place in Jude, he appears four other times, three times in the book of Daniel, and once in Revelation. Now, the problem we have as modern readers is that we do not have a recording of this story anywhere else. So we do not find this story elsewhere in the Bible. And in fact, it isn't really found in anything that we have today outside of some allusions to this story in early Christian writings. So likely, this is an oral testimony that has been given to Jude that Jude relates to us. But let me say, we should not make the claim that, quote, this story isn't in the Bible, because it is. We just read it. It is in Jude, verse 9. And the best, most succinct explanation of this verse is found in J. Adams' commentary on Jude. He said, it is not clear what this phrase refers to. One thing we do know is that it was Moses and Elijah, two persons about whom there was something unusual that had to do with their bodies when they left this world, who appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. That Elijah was transformed without seeing death is clear. That there was a dispute over Moses' body is also clear from this passage. It would seem that at God's behest, Michael came to retrieve the body of Moses and that the devil objected. It is not important for us to know more, or God would have revealed it to us. And so there you go. I think that's a very good summation. So at some level, the Lord sent Michael to retrieve the body of Moses, which absolutely jives with what we read in Deuteronomy 34, verse 6, which says, The Lord buried Moses in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day no one knows the exact place. So at some point, 
This dispute about the body of Moses, which the Lord had buried himself, arose between Michael and Satan. And we can be certain of this event taking place because we have it in Jude 9. And it absolutely fits with everything we know about Moses, Satan, Michael, and the Mount of Transfiguration. So with that said, what is the reason Jude includes it? Because that's the main point that we need to see this morning. And hopefully now it will become clear. Jude includes this because it shows Michael, one of, if not the greatest of archangels, refusing to put himself in the place of God in the midst of a dispute with Satan, the most wicked and evil of the fallen angels, while they are disputing about the body of Moses, the great Old Testament mediator between God and his people. You see, if ever there was a time for someone other than God to pronounce final judgment on someone, it would certainly be against Satan. And if ever there was an Old Testament dispute that would garner such a pronouncement, it would be over the body of Moses, the great Old Testament mediator. And if ever there was a created being who would be in the place of pronouncing that final judgment early against someone, it would be the great archangel Michael. You see, we have the absolute perfect storm of a situation where we might be tempted to judge it right for someone other than God to take the place of God and pronounce early final judgment. If ever there was a circumstance for that to be lawful, it would be over the body of Moses with the great archangel Michael taking the place of God and delivering final judgment on God's great enemy, Satan. But Jude's point is, even in this perfect storm situation, Michael refuses to do it. He simply says, the Lord rebuke you, which is his way of saying that even in this situation, it is not his place to step on the throne of God and issue a final declaration of judgment against Satan. That is only for God to do. Therefore, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. By the way, this is the same line used in Zechariah chapter 3, which if you've got time this afternoon would be a wonderful connection that you could see to our passage today. So to bring all this together, Jude is helping us to discern false teachers. He shows us that while these false teachers have no problem at all denying the authority of God and taking the place of God, on account of their supposed dreams and visions, they are doing something that not even the archangel Michael would dare do in a dispute with Satan himself. Thus, when we see that, we can know that their whole approach is wickedly sinful and their immoral, denying, scoffing teachings must be rejected because no one but God can have the place of ultimate authority. And that leads to our second point this morning, point number two, which makes sense from all of that. False teachers bring about their own destruction. False teachers bring about their own destruction. We see that in verses 10 and 11, but let's just look at verse 10 for starters. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. Now, we have a very informative shift that Jude makes in this verse, and it's subtle, 
but we need to see it because it actually is what carries things forward into our culture in such a way. Jude actually here lays the false teacher's claims of dreams to the side, and he gets at the heart of their actual error. You see, at the very core of their heart, they are not actually following their dreams or their supposed visions. Those only serve to satisfy something more sinister, which would be their own instincts and their own fleshly desires. They're only following their dreams because they support their own fleshly desires that they want to run headlong into. David says, these teachers who probably claimed a higher spirituality and a higher knowledge actually are ignorant of the spiritual world. All that they really know about is their instinctual desires, probably referring to sexual desires. To say it another way, these false teachers are not really following anything but their wicked heart and what it is guiding them towards. They are like unthinking animals who do whatever their flesh tells them to do in the moment. Calvin says, like beasts, they were carried away to those things which gratified the senses of the body. They observed no moderation, but gorged themselves excessively like pigs which roll themselves around in stinking mud. And y'all, in light of our text, we should notice why the world around us stresses our feelings and desires as our ultimate authority so much. It's Jude, verse 10. In a more religious day, no one would be fooled into following their desires unless they had some sort of religious license to do so. Hence the need in former days for dreams and visions to usurp the scriptures in order to allow people to satisfy and gratify the senses of their body. But as we already mentioned, our culture, which has effectively removed religion from the public sector, which has made much too sharp a distinction between church and state, we no longer need religious license to gratify the flesh. We just need to claim that it feels good, therefore it is good. But who is it that follows that logic? Animals. Unthinking animals that do not have a soul or a mind to understand the spiritual realm. But these false teachers actually scoff at the things they do not know, things that God has revealed but they mockingly reject, and therefore they justify whatever feels good at the time. Now let me say here, our mission as a church at Village Prez needs to be led by these words, especially because the very people, the people we want to minister to and invite into our congregation will have often have succumbed to the culture around us, just as many of us have in our past, and spent a lifetime of indulging the gratification of the flesh in whatever way that evidences itself. And Jude does not reject the gracious, gentle, humble, and loving ministry to those who have been fooled by these false teachings. So we should expect to welcome people into our congregation who have lots of life experiences that have actually been built on these wicked teachings. But with that said, there should be no tolerance for people in our midst who reject or twist the teachings of Scripture 
and aim to give license for others to gratify the flesh. Remember, Jude is condemning these false teachers because they are a threat to true believers and future believers. So if you are here today and you find yourself struggling in light of these false teachings, please reach out because the ministry of this church is not simply to your soul. It is also to your body for that is the way God has created us as embodied souls. And that is an important element and aspect of what God has come to redeem. But those who teach such things do not need to be judged by us with final judgment. That is not our judgment to dole out, even if we are to keep ourselves apart from them. Rather, as Jude 10 says, we don't need to judge them with final judgment because they are bringing upon themselves that final judgment. They are bringing judgment on themselves on the basis of their abandonment of what is right and good in order to gratify and defile their own flesh whenever they want. Which leads to our final verse this morning, verse 11. What sorrow awaits them, or woe to them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. Now, we don't have time to go in depth into each of those stories, but I would encourage you to take some time to go back and read those three accounts, for it will give you some good clarity on this passage. But I do believe there's something we should see, something very important to observe here. We need to see that Jude is actually laying before us three examples of counterfeits, of false things, just as he's laying before us how to discern these false teachers and what the fate of false teachers is. We have in verse 11, a counterfeit king, Cain, a counterfeit prophet, Balaam, and a counterfeit priest, Korah. All three of these men rejected the authority of God and put themselves in the place of the Lord. Cain was the first person to reside in the womb of a woman. And thus he was a type of human king only gone wrong. He knew the Lord. He knew the Lord's declaration of Abel as a righteous man and yet took it upon himself to put himself in the place of God as he attempted to judge his brother Abel with final judgment when he committed the first murder in human history. Balaam, the wicked false prophet who knew the Lord, who spoke to the Lord, and knew very well the Lord's declaration that Israel was his chosen nation, that he had chosen to bless them and not curse them. And yet, Balaam, out of greed, took it upon himself to put himself in the place of God as he attempted to seduce the Israelites to satisfy, to gratify their sexual desires with the women of Moab in an effort to bring final judgment upon Israel, a judgment the Lord had not decreed. Then we have Korah, the wicked Levite, who knew the Lord, knew that the Lord had chosen his cousin Aaron to be, to, his cousin Aaron and Aaron's family to serve as priests. And yet he took it upon himself to put himself in the place of God and wrestle the priesthood away from Aaron and claim it for himself. A counterfeit king, a counterfeit prophet, and a counterfeit priest, all trying to take the place and authority of God, and all who brought about horrendous judgment because 
of what they did, and they actually caused others following after them to be judged in the same way. So Jude's point is clear. These teachers invading the church are counterfeit shepherds, counterfeit teachers, counterfeit leaders. They are bringing the judgment of God upon themselves, just as came upon these three men. And Jude is warning us not to follow after these false teachings, lest we get caught up in their judgment. And by the way, if you want a picture of that judgment, you can turn to number 16, Korah's rebellion, where earth opened up and swallowed Korah and those following after him alive, body and soul, directly into hell. A picture of final judgment, as we see. So as we wrap up our sermon today, I have three very brief applications that I think are are quite clear and important for us to see as we close. First, if you are someone here today who is a false teacher, someone who desires to undermine the teachings of Scripture, to allow license for yourself and others to gratify the desires of the flesh, whatever they may be, then you need to leave this building after church and do not ever come back. Let this serve as your warning. You are not welcome here, and we will see that with even more clarity next week. Now, I hope we don't have anyone here today who is in that category. But if you are, following after the steps of Cain, bent on greed like Balaam, and contentious and rebellious, bringing about this judgment like Korah, then there is no place for you in our meetings, in our congregation. We do not need to pronounce final judgment upon you, but we can say the Lord rebuke you and see to it that you have no place in the standing of this church. It is our job to guard this flock from false teachers like this. And Jude makes clear that we would be usurping the authority of God if we permitted you to be present and lead others in the congregation away from the Lord. Now with that said though, second, if you are one who has simply been fooled by these false teachings, whether from inside a community of faith or from the world at large, then our heart hurts for you. We mourn with you and we desire to walk with you in the light of the gospel, to beckon you to leave counterfeit kings, counterfeit prophets and counterfeit priests, to come to the one true king, prophet and priest, Jesus Christ, to come to him in faith and repentance, to receive the ministry of the gospel that will untangle you from following after whatever your instinctual desires have drawn you towards and instead bring freedom into your life to live as God has designed, which is the path of true righteousness and joy. This is a home for you. And we will be patient and gentle as the Lord does his transforming work in your heart. Just as he continues to do in the hearts of everyone who is a member of this church. You see, no one makes it to total spiritual maturity here. We desire spiritually maturing Christians, which can be the newest baby Christian to the most steadfastly following Christian within the congregation. You can join us on that path of being a spiritually maturing believer. And finally, to all the members of Village Prez, let us collectively be on guard in both of these ways. This is not something that your under-shepherds can do alone. It is something that requires heartfelt, gracious, humble, and bold and courageous faith. 
for all of us to discern where people may be preying on others or leading others astray. We should not think that that will not come into the church, for that is something we must constantly be on guard against, to see where the teachings of this world are infiltrating our church, and to be encouraged to courageously walk by faith in addressing those perversions of truth head-on, while at the same time maintaining or ministering gently to those who have been fooled by this false teaching. We must hold both as a congregation in one in each hand. Because at the end of the day, true teachings are always submissive to the one who has the place of authority. Our Lord and Master, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has given it to us in his divinely inspired word. So be encouraged today, brothers and sisters, if you have been spared from these false teachings, be encouraged because that is a wonderful testimony of God's grace in your life. But also, if you are one who has been freed from these false teachings, be thankful that the Lord has rescued you from times in your life of being in the midst of that. And may we all be enthused, be bold and courageous to know that He will use us as a church to bring others into this body that will be built up in their faith in these ways. So, false teachers are bringing judgment upon themselves because they take the place of God in order to gratify their fleshly lusts. But we are different. True believers have been given forgiveness, redemption, and a promised hope of eternal life because they have submitted to the one true God and are being freed from having to serve the desires of the flesh. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you this morning for your word to us. We thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that comes here. The wisdom to be able to use your word to discern where there may be false teaching. Lord, to have wisdom to discern places that if we didn't have that wisdom, we would all be fooled. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have given us this in your word. We pray today that you would help us to walk a path of faith, to walk a path of trusting you, Lord. And may we always be a church that is simultaneously rejecting false teaching and yet ministering gently and humbly to those who have been impacted by it. Lord, may that be the true testimony of this church for generations to come. We pray it because it is in your word and we believe it is your will for us because it is there. We pray it all in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.